the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Peter is preaching the gospel in the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. As they are listening, the Holy Spirit falls on them. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 37. Once again, that's Acts chapter 10, verse 37. Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, Psalm 2, Romans 2, Galatians 2. Well, the book of Acts is showing us that Jesus is still working, that when he ascended, he was not finished, but now that he is working through his church by his spirit. And in doing so, we're watching the expansion of the church as more and more people are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But Peter has now gone and done the unthinkable. Following God's very clear directions, despite his own doubts, he's crossed the threshold into a Gentile's home, and he is preparing to preach the gospel to them. Peter comes to this place because God has taught him that Jesus isn't just the Lord of the Jews. If you look here at chapter 10, Peter begins to speak to them when he finds out why they've sent for him. When Cornelius says that the angel said that Peter would share words with them that they needed to hear. And so Peter, verse 34 of chapter 10 of Acts, he opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Now the word which God sent under the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, and then it hits them, he is Lord of all. The realization is, my goodness, God, he loves not just the Jew, not even just the Samaritan, but the Gentile as well. And here he is to preach the gospel to them as well. And so armed with this new understanding, Peter sees no reason to not preach the gospel to all these that Cornelius has gathered to listen because Jesus is the Lord of all who repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. And what results in this chapter will change the church forever. It's why we are here as a church together because most of us are Gentiles. Or will it? Will it really change the church forever? Do we see a church that welcomes people with open arms regardless of their nationality from this point on? No. In fact, embracing this truth will be a struggle for the church for the remainder of the book of Acts, and it has been so throughout history, which brings up the question, why in the world is it so hard to love those who are different than us? Why? 
Well, as we see God's love for these Gentiles, may we purpose in our hearts to let nothing stand in the way of letting God's love rule in us in our interactions with one another. So chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 37. So Peter explains this word that God sent unto the children of Israel, but now I realize it's for everyone because he's Lord of all. That word, verse 37, I say, you know. This is not news to you. You've heard what I'm about to tell you. That, that word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He knows they'd heard the story about Jesus, but he also knows that they probably hadn't heard the full story, and certainly not from an eyewitness. And so he explains that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth after John the Baptist came. He was the one preaching that the Messiah was coming. Prepare your hearts, ready the way. And then Jesus was the one that he tabbed and said, this is the guy. Well, the Bible never says Jesus was the Messiah. Listen, John the Baptist made it very clear in his testimony who Jesus was. In fact, so much so that John, he had to actually, when he was in prison, he sent some of his disciples to go ask Jesus if he was the one because he was in trouble and he was beginning to doubt. He had made it clear to everyone. And after that, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And as a result, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What a beautiful description of Jesus's ministry. Let me ask you a question. Is it a description of Calvary Chapel Orlando's ministry? That this is what we do, that we are moving anointed with the Holy Ghost with power, going about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. Is that an adequate description of our ministry? Do people find restoration from the work of the enemy in their life when they come here? It should be. I hope it is. God help us to engage people with loving truth that this would be the testimony of our church. Now, the obvious question for these Gentiles would be, okay, Peter, we have heard all that wonderful stuff, but didn't he die? I mean, you say that he did this and he was anointed of God, but didn't he die? I mean, that's the story we heard. He died and then you guys took his body and claimed that he rose from the dead. And so Peter in verse 39, he goes on, he explains, and we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Yes, he died. Yes, what you heard is true. But we are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We are witnesses of everything that he did, and therefore we have a different story. John the beloved apostle, he would say to those that he had written to, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. And we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest unto us. He says, we touched him, we heard him. Peter describing here that he was a witness of these things. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 mentions that Jesus was seen risen from the dead by about 500 people. 
They were eyewitness accounts of these things, both of his life and of his death. We are witnesses of these things. Yes, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. It mentions here whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Now remember, this is a Roman centurion that he's speaking to here, many Roman soldiers. And so Peter's being a little diplomatic here because the Jews, of course, did not hang Jesus on a tree. They did not put him to the cross. The word there literally means to hang to a piece of wood or to attach to a piece of wood. The Jews didn't do that. The Romans did, but Peter's being a little diplomatic here. Him God raised up on the third day and he showed him openly or visibly. Yes, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important to our gospel presentation that Jesus didn't stay dead. It means so many things. It means that God accepted his offering for us, that it satisfied all of God's righteous demands. That's important. The Bible says he was raised for our justification. It means that God accepted the sacrifice as a just means to replace us. The fact that he'd risen from the dead. Peter wasn't offering them a dead figurehead to follow, but a living God who they could have a relationship with. But he says here, he did not show him to all people, but unto witnesses chosen beforehand, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. You've heard the story that we took his body. Well, you know what? We ate and drank with him. Literally, the Greek here, it means they continually ate with him. Remember in John chapter 21 that Jesus was cooking them dinner? Remember, they were out fishing. They had gone back to their old lives. And Jesus went up to Galilee and popped in on him and said, hey guys, you tried dumping the nets on the other side of the boat? Because that's scientific. And of course, they do it. And as soon as they do it, <laughs> what does John say? It's the Lord. <laughs> We're busted. <laughs> it's a bad idea, Peter. <laughs> and Peter wastes no time. He takes off his fisherman's coat, wouldn't even want anything to do with it anymore, and jumps into the water and swims to shore. He knew he had no business being on that boat anymore. God had called him to be a fisher of men. And there, up on the shore, Jesus is cooking dinner for him almost as if to show him, you don't need to go back to this life. You don't need to rest in what you know. You don't have to go back to what you're comfortable with. I'll take care of every need you have. Just trust me. And then I can't imagine he just fed him and he didn't eat. Peter mentions here that they ate with him on numerous occasions. You don't do that with a corpse. You do that with someone who's alive. One who still speaks today, verse 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people. Not suggested, but he commanded us. That's our job. He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, to give all, to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive the remission of sins. And so now Peter gets to the crux of his sermon. He explains to them, Jesus was the guy that you've heard about, but the story you've heard is not complete. He did all these wonderful things. He did die, but he rose from the dead. And verse 42, he commanded us, we who are witnesses of it, we who saw it, he commanded us to go out and to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he, this same Jesus who died, who is risen again. It is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. God assigned him this particular role or task to be the judge of the living. That's what the word quick means, the living and the dead. Not a judge of the living and the dead, but the judge of the quick and the dead. 
That's a part of the message that we preach. That's a part of the gospel. Judgment. Now we can't talk about judgment. Well, Peter says he was commanded to do so. It's an important part of what we believe. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The Bible says it's a fearful thing, a horrible thing, and an awesome thing to fall into the hands of the living God and to not know him. Peter has preached about our amazing living Jesus, but now he gets to the crux of the sermon. He says, you're gonna have to answer to the Lord someday, guys. You Gentiles here, the same message I've preached to the Jews, that someday you're gonna have to answer to the Lord. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? You know, oftentimes you'll hear people will say, you know, when you share the gospel with someone, you can ask them this question and say, if you were to die today and you were to stand there before the pearly gates and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? You're going to have to have an answer to that. Now, hopefully it comes on this side because you won't have an answer on that side if you don't get one on this side. Not an adequate one. Because I can guarantee you when you stand before the holy, righteous, living God who is a consuming fire and you say, well, I was tried to be a good person, that doesn't quite seem to measure up at that point, does it? You're gonna have to answer to the Lord someday. Turn to Psalm 2 with me. Preaching to the Gentiles this message of getting right with the Son. It's fascinating. It's not a new message. It's beautiful messianic psalm too. Verse one, the psalmist says, why do the heathen rage? Those are the Gentiles. Why do the nations, the Gentiles, why do they rage? And why do the people imagine a vain thing, an empty thing? It refers to that which is empty and worthless, the idea of their idolatry. They conjure up these things to worship. The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers, they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Lily, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. But he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Do you know how foolish it is to think that someone could shake their fist at God and say, yeah, you come and try to stop us. That's what Nimrod did. In the book of Genesis, we're going to get to it soon when Nimrod, he decides, okay, you know what? He says to spread out, but that's a bad idea. He could flood the whole thing and kill us all off again. You know what we need to do? We need to build a tower that's so high, he could never flood us out again. One that reaches all the way to heaven. Talk about a fist, a proverbial fist being shaken at God. He'll never destroy us again, never separate us again, never conquer us again. Hey, what did God do? I'll just confuse their languages. <laughs> hey, that's not where that's supposed to go. Why are you yelling at me in language I don't understand? Why aren't you doing what I asked you to do? And then just back and forth, kid. Imagine how that was. Nobody can understand each other. Chaos erupted. And there it stood as an abandoned memorial to man's rebellion. How easily it was for God to just say, Let's go down there and confuse their languages. Then we'll see what they can accomplish. We're getting to that same place today where we feel like there's nothing we can't do. There are things that we have created and engineered that we have done that we haven't asked the question, should have we created or engineered those things? We get to a place now where we have the ability to do what Jesus had said in the scriptures that if he would not return to stop what was going on, there'd be no life left. We have the ability to do that now. 
He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. You can do what you want. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. Isn't this awesome? This is the Old Testament. Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so now the psalmist turns to these Gentiles and he says, be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled by the little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Rather than rage against Jesus and God like these pagan nations will. He exhorts these Gentiles. He says, kiss the son, Peter says. Jesus has been ordained as the judge of the quick and the dead. Place your trust in Christ for all your sin. If you do so, you'll be blessed. Verse 43, it says, to him give all the, it's back in Acts, by the way, back in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. You're thinking, man, that's a bad Bible. I don't have 43 in Psalm 2. Acts 10.43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, and here's the blessing, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission, the forgiveness, the sending away of their sins, the exile of their sins. Aren't you so glad that your sins have been exiled? I'm so glad my sins have been totally sent away from me. me. It's that word to send away. To, to send away. The Bible talks about how he takes our sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west, right? Sends them as far as the east is from the west. Do you know that if you're going east, you're never going west? I love that. I'm glad he didn't say north and south because that's a big distance, but at least it could be covered. But if you're going east, you never end up going west. I'm so grateful that the Lord has taken my sin and he's washed it away completely. This is a blessing, he says, you can have. If you will kiss the son, if you will put your faith in Christ, those who believe, who trust in him, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. And it's almost like at that moment, the Holy Spirit says, enough, Peter, that's done. I don't want anyone to get confused because this is a very important point. For in verse 44, look what happens. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, these Gentiles, and those of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. The Holy Spirit, it's almost like he says, Peter, I want to make sure nobody mistakes this. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to be baptized. They don't have to keep the law. They don't have to keep the Sabbath. They don't have to do all these things. I want to make sure you understand right now that they have listened to this point that you've made, that if they believe on him, their sins will be forgiven and they've done it. I give him my spirit. That's it. That's it. Jesus plus nothing. Praise God. (laughs) Peter yet spoke the words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. The word there, heard, it means to listen and conform to what was heard. This was the moment as he was speaking when he said, all you gotta do, you gotta believe and you'll be forgiven. And at that moment, they believed. It would make no sense to point out all that heard because all obviously were hearing Peter's voice. They're all gathered in the same spot. So if all he is saying there is that they physically heard, that makes no sense to use that. While he was still preaching, some were already embracing faith 
in Jesus. And on these, God poured out his spirit, even though Peter wasn't done. (laughs) Now, real quickly, this verse is often used to show that it's okay if the gift of tongues interrupts preaching to give us a special message from God. But there's two things I think we need to notice about this text here. Number one, this isn't a church service. It's not a church service. This is one man going to share the gospel with a bunch of people. It'd be very similar to our H4O team going out to share the gospel. This is not a church service, okay? And remember that the purpose of the gift of tongues is not to give us a message from God. If someone says, I have a message from God in tongues to you, and then they ilio shundai and untie my bow tie for you, that is not from the Lord, okay? The Bible says that the gift of tongues is prayer or praise to God. That's what it says. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. He who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak unto men, but he speaks unto God. So we don't need a special message to interrupt the bad preacher. It's prayer and praise being poured out to God. You know, Paul rebuked the Corinthian church for having disorderly services where it concerned the gifts. There is this idea that the Holy Spirit is only moving if there's chaos. If things aren't planned, if things aren't structured, then that's how you know the Holy Spirit's moving. No, the Holy Spirit is one of order. He's a God of order. He's the one who inspired this. The Bible says in 1 Peter, it mentions that he filled the sails of those who were writing the scriptures for us. He's the one that guided these things to be written. And so if he guided these things to be written in such a way where he says, let everything be done decently and in order, then I think that's what he means. That's his heart towards it. And that's how we can recognize him. Now, when this happens and these guys just start speaking in tongues and worshiping God, the Jewish believers who came with Peter, they are blown away. It says, those of the circumcision which believed were astonished. The word there means to be shocked so much that you're overwhelmed. They're almost just like, how can this be? They were shocked because that of the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is the one rare occasion in Acts where we find the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurring almost simultaneous to salvation. These Gentiles received Christ by faith as Peter preached, and then Jesus baptized them in his spirit. Now, it's possible the Lord did this so quickly so that none of the Jewish believers could dispute their conversion, these Gentiles' conversion. Maybe that's why the Lord did it that way. I don't know. But upon seeing their shock, Peter turns to them and he's like, in verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then answered Peter, and he turns to these guys and he goes, um, this changes everything. Could any of you come up with an objection to baptizing these guys? He turns to me, he says, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we have? Uh, are you with me in this? <laughs> he doesn't want to do this alone. He knows he's in trouble already. And so he looks at him and he, can you think of any reason, any objection that we can't water baptize these guys, that we can't treat them like brothers and sisters in Christ without doing any of the Jewish stuff to them? And when no objection comes from the other six believers, because there can't be, Peter tells them to get water baptized, verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now, it doesn't tell us that they did do it, but the text seems to indicate they did get baptized, water baptized. And afterwards, it says they prayed or asked him to tarry with them for certain days. (laughs) Peter, can you hang out? We want to learn more about this Jesus, learn more about what it means to be a Christian. 
And Peter's probably got to be thinking, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. Mom's going to disown me. It's, it's over, you know. But why not? He's already gone so far, right? Why not be all in? They're brothers and sisters now. They have the same spirit. Jew or Gentile doesn't matter anymore, as mind-blowing as that would be to Peter and these six other guys with him. Peter's been staying with all the other believers in the area to disciple him, right? Why not stay with them? And so he does. Jesus is Lord of all. Of the people around you right here, he is Lord of all. And if Jesus is your Lord, then you don't have the option of treating others with partiality. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our Lord. We stand no better. I stand no better than any other person in this room. And therefore, Lord, we have no excuse not to love one another. Lord, we desperately need an outpouring of that kind of love. Even now, as you have touched our hearts and maybe put your finger on a relationship, maybe that's strained or, or one that we've forsaken or maybe someone that we've kind of cut off because of past hurt or sin or maybe our own shame. Lord, we humble ourselves before you right now. We want to make it right. Fill us with your love, we pray in Jesus' name. God's grace and forgiveness is not just for a select special group. Where you come from makes no difference. He died and paid the price for the whole world. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn walk and live in the word three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.